Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey, hey, Matt, how are we doing tonight? Dude, I'm doing really good, man. It is, uh, it is a little cold. I'm in the garage. I think you're in, uh, in the garage wing of Casa de Greg as well. And yeah, it's, it's a little chilly, but not bad. No, we got uh, you know the, the, the consummate weather talk on any good podcast, but uh, we had some rain recently again. And so you had mentioned this to me a little while ago, but the, you know, some of the larger uh, mountains in, the, in our little mountain range here, like the Mount uh, San Jacinto and, and Mount Wilson had had obviously been enjoying some snow ca- snow keep snow caps and snow peaks and now our little foothills in front of them are all dusted too so it's making for sort of a, a picturesque uh, backdrop to our little our humble little community in the San Gabriel Valley. Oh yeah, it was incredible. I drove around today and got a couple of really good pictures. You know, of as, the, uh, as any good wrist should be doing. I, I think you're supposed to be driving around finding the best wrist shots possible. Oh yeah, well no, this was weather. I was, you know, there were a couple of spots where you could see, you know, downbursts of of snow, basically like uh, Mount Harvard, you know, the the lower peak, the sub- secondary peak, just underneath Wilson. So there's a big antenna array up there, and it was getting yeah. dusted. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, looks great. Right on. Well, hey, this is normally where we uh, kind of do a little bit of small talk and, hey, what are you doing? What am I doing? And all that crap. But we actually have a guest today, so we're going to drive right on. Is that cool? Yeah, actually, because I'm way more interested in what she has to say than, than either of us, to be frank. Right on. Well, I'm going to introduce her. Our guest has recently been featured in Hodinkee Magazine Volume 10 and even more recently on The Grey NATO with Jason and James. Many of you probably know her from her outstanding Instagram feed, at Wildlander6. And a select few of us know her as an honorary hench person, henchman, hench gal, aboard DSV Depth Charge. You've probably already figured out that our guest is Fire Captain and Adventure Watch Maven Asha Wagner. Asha, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I have to give you some props, Matt. That might have been one of your finest intros in quite some time. I enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man. You know, I, I didn't care about any of the ones I've done to date. This is the good one. <laughs> it was it was all all rehearsal leading up to this, baby. Well, let's say it was better than average. Okay, thanks. I'll take it. <laughs> all right, so we are formally started, and this is a Watch and Booze podcast. So, Asha, we're going to uh, kind of jump you in, and why don't we start with you? Can you give us a wrist check and a pour check? What do you have on the wrist? What's in the glass? Sure thing. I've got on my Pelagos F- FXD with a Zulu Alpha Blackbeard USA Keeper on the strap. And my poor check, I have St. George's Terrar Gin, which is my happy celebration drink. It just It's infused with botanicals from a local Mount Tamalpais out here, and it just it tastes like nature. That's good stuff. I've had botanivore, but never the Terroir Gin. And I, I really like everything that St. George makes. 
you got to try the terroir. It's completely different than the botanivore, and also it's different than their agricole, too. I'll have to give that a whirl. My wife is a gin person, too. Like a lot of, uh, I think anything with that kind of nose, um, you know, she uh, will cook like with, uh, uh, you know, light vermouth, the same kind of thing, This, you know, and she loves that stuff. A good martini is her favorite. Uh, what, a, what a perfect description of like the flavor profile, too. That was spot on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try it sometime. It tastes just like you're drinking the mountain. <laughs> right on. Well, I have to ask real fast, just to kind of clarify, you've got the FXD. Is that your FXD? I th- I wanted to say that at some point I thought like you had come across one and liked it. Did you actually take the plunge? You got one? This is recently acquired. I picked this up this month. Nice. So it is mine. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, that's so fantastic. Yeah, a guy in my watch group was super awesome and um, put it up for sale. And of course, people started tagging me immediately <laughs> as soon as it went up. And I was fortunate enough to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's a fantastic watch. It, it is. It's so cool. I'm so happy that you got it. And, and I, I have to imagine you're just absolutely loving it. I am. It has barely left my wrist. It's It's a very much me watch. So I'm loving it. And I have to say, I have to say uh, to, to be so blessed to have your sort of celebratory happy pour on, you know, as part of our, the pour check for today, it just, I don't know what we did to deserve that, but I'm, I'm certainly going to take it. Like I said, I'm just so happy to be here with you guys. Well, it was worth celebrating. (laughs) That's right. No, thank you. Well, I'll jump in. Um, I am wearing something that has also been on my wrist for quite some time. I have not taken it off very often. We have this in. Uh, a sort of a, a hands-on. This is the Formex um, Essence Lagara. They're 41 millimeter. And this is the Space Rock, the meteorite dial. Um, and this thing is just really, really cool, guys. Um, I don't know how well it's picking up on the camera here, but I had never really had a, a meteorite dial uh, for any extended time, maybe just pa- in passing or, or you know, mostly just in photos, to be honest. And this is a really cool dynamic dial, obviously. And uh, the the carbon and ceramic case is is really stellar, and it's on this this sort of uh, nylon nylon this sort of strap with a with also a, a carbon uh, deployment, and uh, I'm, I'm really digging it. This is a cool watch. I couldn't see it super cool, but that sounds like a great combination. I've always liked meteorite dials. You know, we yeah, were you don't get to see them too much, right? No, and but we've seen a few folks make them at what I would consider sort of a accessible, right? You know, uh, entry point, and and so this this is one of those. I think this is something. You know, I don't know. It seemed like they were sold out on the site already, but you know, if you got in when they were available, I don't think it was cost prohibitive to certain folks, especially if they're used to you know higher price tags. I remember a while back, I believe there was a watch that was sort of Art Deco style where the case was made out of meteorite. I'll have to look that one up and find it. I can I, I can't imagine actually how they would do that. That must be like a, a phenomenal look, especially if it's kind of a conventional, you know, the way the, the meteorite is all sort of grained, you know, almost like a, almost like a weave in in rock. Yeah. That's just yep. That would be cool. Well, 
that's going to be a follow-up for sure. In the glass yeah. <laughs> is um, one of the new pours. I guess it's for this month would be January um, from um, Maguey Melate. This is the um, Pichomel, um, 46.5%. This comes from Puebla. So that's kind of neat. You know, uh, you know, most of the mezcal we drink is out of Oaxaca and maybe a few other places. So Puebla, I've, you know, almost everywhere in Mexico has a long history of mezcal production, but Puebla has not typically found its way to the States. So this is a really neat, interesting pour. Uh, the agave varietal is still classified as a, a agave marmorata, uh, which is the same same uh, genome as is, uh, uh, Tepestate, where we would typically think of Tepestate from Oaxaca, but the flavor profile is completely different. And so it just raises some questions about the, uh, the naming conventions and maybe this is its own varietal, but really cool pour, very different than what you might expect from, you know, a Oaxacan Tepestate. And, uh, you know, Pretty tasty. I'm liking it. You just drinking that neat? Always. Yeah, cool. same here with the St. George's. Yeah, right? Quality spirits, uh, you know, they're, they're best neat in my opinion. It certainly can't hurt to throw a rock on there every once in a while or you want to switch things up. And of course, we love our cocktails here, but, uh, you know, fine spirits are, are meant to be enjoyed, enjoyed neat most of the time, in my opinion. Have you ever been to St. George's in Alameda? No. Oh, you guys got to come up. It's one of the things that I love about them and actually how I found out is they're local to me. They're just through a bridge and a tunnel or a, or like two tunnels. But um, they have a tasting room and you can just go and hang out there and try 10 different spirits, like small little pours of them. And I didn't realize that vodka didn't have to taste like rubbing alcohol until I discovered St. George's. <laughs> Yeah, they have they had a an amazing black tea vodka that Ooh. tastes very reminiscent of a forest fire. So, of course, I like that one. Your your flavor notes are like primo. I'm I'm really liking you know your ability to to put sort of a, a context and and sort of imagination around the flavor notes because that's what it's all about. Anybody could say you know has you know uh, uh, you know the, the you know it's green or or you know it, it has spice or whatever, but Forest fire, celebration, mountains. That's that's the that's the sort of descriptors we need. Are you, are either of you Harry Potter nerds? So I have two daughters that are in their teens. Yeah, so we've we've read them all. Awesome. So there was a restaurant in Millennium that used uh, St. George's. I believe it was their jalapeno infused vodka, and they called it a vodka cadavra, the cocktail that they made out of it. Oh, <laughs> oh that's clever. Movie. Yeah. So let me ask you though that that tea infused vodka because I'm not a big vodka person either, like at all. We cook with it in the house as a substitute for some other things, but um, which is a whole other thing. Greg will have to get into. Yeah. But um, you know, typically we just have you know Tito's on hand for that, and that's about it. And it it pretty much never gets you know made into a cocktail. And I certainly don't drink it neat and haven't since like college, where you know you're on a mission or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very goal oriented in college. Well, this, this, the vodka that you mentioned, I mean, does it have like a, a smoky quality to it? I mean, you mentioned a forest fire, but I'm wondering, is it sort of like a smoky scotch forest fire, you know, or is it, is there some other element to it? I wonder what kind of cocktail that would lend itself to. A very smoky quality to it. I haven't had that one in a while. I've been leaning more towards gin, gins and bourbons and uh, whiskeys, but it's still, it's good stuff. I've had that, um, the jalapeno one, and that makes a stellar Bloody Mary as well. Mm. Yeah, that would be good. If you like spicy bloodies, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? 
Yeah. Some people don't do spicy. Some people don't do spicy cocktails, surprisingly. Like who doesn't? Losers, that's who. Well, nobody that I associate with, but I know they exist. <laughs> no, yeah, it's all. I, my wife would not be down for that either. That's all right. Well, I guess I'm up. I'm up next, right, for the uh, the drink check and the wrist check. So on wrist, um, I have this is the uh, the Rolex Explorer Two, the sixteen five seventy, the Polar Dial, and uh, I don't know. Kind of thought it would be appropriate for somebody who is, you know, a guest who's, you know, an outdoor adventure person. <laughs> kind of, uh, I, this is my Walter Mitty watch in that regard. Awesome. And then in the glass, I have. I debated what kind of Central Coast adjacent beer to go with. So this is Fig Mountain, Figaro Mountain. These guys are in Buellton. So think of, uh, you know, uh, Solvang, Santa Inez. And to me, that's that's where the Central Coast starts, you know, and then goes north. So this is their, uh, their Danish red lager. And unlike other, you know, this is not like a red ale, you know, where it's kind of, frankly, it's kind of flat. It's 5.5 ABV. It's really nice color in the glass. Just a, a really good drinking beer and always reminds me of kind of passing through or if I take, you know, weekend trips up to Solvang, there's a big, you know, Danish immigrant mm-hmm. community there. And it's, you know, it's kind of kitschy and touristy, but, you know, legitimately there's a lot of Danish roots there. And uh, yeah, very good beer. And just about everything Figaro Mountain makes is good. So rather than go with 805, I... I zigged and and went with Figaro Mountain. So that's what's in the glass. This is a good one. Switching it up. I was expecting the 805. 805, you can't go wrong. No. can't go wrong. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, before we kind of dive into some topics, um, do you mind if we just ask you a few, like, rapid-fire questions? Of course. Go for it. Okay. So – Sometimes it's kind of a a this or that kind of thing. But in this case, I'm just going to throw a few like hypotheticals or expand a little bit and just say the first thing that comes to your mind, even if you don't necessarily have any experience with it, although you might. Okay. So you're a rated diver. Yeah. Just open water. Okay. Same, same. Um, Best diving, Hawaii or Caribbean? Ooh. um, So far, Caribbean. I've dove in Curacao and... That was just absolutely incredible. I went to this one site that was nicknamed Alice in Wonderland just because the coral formations and everything were huge. I dove Maui um, October before last, and that was really fun because we got to see some white tip reef, reef sharks and there was turtles around, but I got to go with Curacao for this one. Okay, so Caribbean, solid, yes. solid. Okay, so the next question is 805 or Anchor Steam? Oof. Okay, so I went to college at Cal Poly, so I have some very fond memories of 805 um, in the SF Bay Area, and I got to go Anchor Steam. I like that. Anchor Steam, I think, you know, 805 for me is like an emotional favorite, but I think Anchor Steam is a better beer. Mm. You know, if that makes sense. Like 805 is like our Modelo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't right, drink cool. beer super often, but I like a chunky beer when I drink it. Like I like a good Guinness. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had any of the uh, the big beers from Firestone, like uh, Velvet oh, Merkin and yeah? yeah. So I haven't. Oh, okay. They're yeah. super good. I'll 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 send you a reading list, a drinking list. Love it. 
anytime, yeah, you pass through, you know, that place is huge now. Greg, have you ever been there in Paso Robles? I've been, it has to have been at least over almost 10 years ago. And so maybe the newest tasting room was just coming online at that point. Yeah, that's, that's about right. It's just, you know, about every five years, it like seems like it doubles in size. It's a fun trip. Okay, so the next one, be honest. Would you rather be a smoke jumper or an attack pilot? Hmm. I mean, both attack, of those attack are pilot. dreams. <laughs> I'm whispering into the mic, attack pilot. <laughs> I, hmm. I would love to smoke jump. I mean, when I was in high school, I used to go down to the local Oakland airport. You know, this is a time well before 9-11 and I would uh, wash planes in exchange for flight lessons. So I've always wanted to get my pilot certification. I really want to smoke jump one of these days now, especially because I belong to this organization called the Triple Nickels. Have you guys heard of them? I have not. So uh, it was really cool. During uh, World War II, they were the first group of African-American airborne rangers, but instead of deploying them overseas, they detailed them to the Forest Service to combat the threat of incendiary balloons floating over the Pacific from Japan. And so they used them as smoke jumpers and um, they, they have a huge number of deployments for both World War II and then later in Korea. And then they were um, rolled in with, the, with other airborne ranger regiments. But since then, they now have a professional organization to keep the history alive and to promote camaraderie among airborne personnel. And they open it up to all airborne firefighters. So I got, got in being a helicopter repeller. And so I would love the opportunity to go out as a smoke jumper too. All right. That's a good answer. Solid, <laughs> solid. That sounds like an interesting organization when you, when you mentioned that. So there's a, a very longstanding uh, a squadron in the Air Force, the Triple Nickel. They're F-16 squadron. I think they're Aviano. Um, <laughs> anyway, but uh, I, I'll definitely look up that history. I bet there's probably some really cool written, like written work about them too. Oh, there's there's books, articles, there's videos on YouTube, all sorts of resources. All right, I'll find it. I'll find it. That sounds cool. What's yeah. the last movie you saw? Um, actually, the last movie I saw was last night. I watched Vengeance on Netflix. I don't know if I know that. I feel like I should get. What's the? Can you give us like a thumbnail sketch? What's the deal with it? Have you seen um, Only Murders in the Building? No, there's too much good stuff to watch now. There's, it's like, well, vengeance is, um, there's a death that happens and, um, there's a guy that's a podcaster and he's thinking that this would be a great subject for his podcast to go and investigate it because the family thinks that the woman was murdered. So he's is gonna, this where he goes to like West Texas? Exactly. That's the oh, one. Okay. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really good. Okay. Yeah, Greg, that it looks really cool. I, I think I saw it, it as a trailer, you know, when I saw Top Gun or something like that. Did you like it? I did. I liked it quite a bit. All right, cool. I'll find it. Did you say it was uh, Netflix? I believe it's Netflix. All right. It's so hard to remember now. You know, everybody's <laughs> yeah. got so many different platforms. I'm like, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. There's yeah, it's it's impossible to like 
track things down sometimes. Okay, so my last question is just right off the top of your head, your favorite date night cocktail. Do you have a go-to? Hmm. Um, well, I want to learn how to make a good Corpse Reviver. And last date night over the weekend, I had a very good Paloma. That was delicious. And then my favorite drink to make in summertime is St. George's makes an absinthe that actually tastes good. It doesn't taste like cough syrup. And that has the same flavor profile as root beer. And they combine that in the tasting room. So I figured, of course, I have to take this one step f- further and put a scoop of vanilla ice cream in it. So an absinthe root beer float. That's amazing. But they are dangerous. They are, they are very dangerous. <laughs> okay, you're you're already like right up there with Jason Krasno as like our our best like cocktail oriented guest. I'm gonna try that, Greg. I told you about the um, the uh, oh come on, the guys over at Mount Low. They have a sarsaparilla that they make. You did, yeah. So, Asha, the area where Greg and I live, um, we're lucky that we've got probably. I think six, probably at least six like microbrewery operations with tasting rooms within like a half a mile of my house. Awesome. And one of these places, you know, on they, they've got, you know, a tap room and it's like, you know, beer, 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 root beer. It's like, <laughs> all right, I got to try this. And it was the, like the best, most flavorful, like intense, it's probably 10,000 calories. Uh, and so I, you know, I took a growler of it home and, you know, passed it around to my kids and we made, uh, we made root beer floats. I'm going to have to try that. Absolutely. I'll also, I'll also add to this that he sent me a picture of this and said, he said, this is from Mount Low. You, you have to get this for your kids. And I'm thinking to myself, Mount Low's a brewery. What are you telling me to, to <laughs> feed my kids right now? He's like, no, 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 no. It's just a root beer. Start them young. <laughs> right on. Well, both Greg and I, I think have a few questions. Greg, if it's cool with you, I'll, I'll kind of lead off in terms yeah. of like the first like topic. So Asha, you started to tell the story. There's a really good story with Jason and James about I, what I would describe. I, these weren't your words, but I'm paraphrasing, but like maybe the most satisfying like fire experience you ever worked. Yeah. You know, I think you told the story of going out with like just, you know, one other mm-hmm. person basically going out to a remote site and just getting a, a lightning strike under control or something like that. Yeah. Um, so on the opposite end of that, what is the gnarliest fire you've ever worked? Um, gnarliest as far as physically challenging, biggest... You know, actually, I hadn't really thought of it like in terms of kind of delineating it like that. But, you know, just in terms of, you know, maybe just the most intense experience, whether it was, you know, something that was, you know, significant risk to loss of property or just a a massive, you know, we we have big wilderness forest fires in California all the time. So maybe they kind of run together. But if there's anything that kind of sticks out in your mind, I'd just be curious. You know, it's funny with fire stories. And that, like, most of the time, it's pretty hard for me to call them up unless somebody else is telling a story and it'll remind me of something. Um, but, you know, when I was with Forest Service, I was on several pretty large campaign fires that, you know, were like hundreds of thousands of acres. But those ones are kind of funny because in that you show up and, you know, me being like... 1920 ready to charge in and save the world at least that's what i thought at the time but then showing up and seeing 500 foot tie foot tall flames in front of me like 
okay, yeah, there, there's not a whole lot that just I can do right up close with that. So for the bigger ones, we tend to back off a little bit um, and then, you know, cut our lines remotely. Um, let's see. You know, structure fire is kind of the opposite of that. And so I went from wildland where you have the smaller fires that you can get in up close and attack more directly. Um, larger fires you have to back up off from. Uh, structure fires is a lot of fire in a small area. And so that was an interesting contrast. And then there's fires in what's called the wildland urban interface. So that's where the woods meet homes. And those we have to be much more aggressive in than we're used to being in fires that are in the backcountry. So those ones can get pretty intense, especially lately with the fires we've been having in California. Yeah, two years ago, we had uh, in probably about the fourth or fifth month of COVID, we had the Bobcat fire down here. You know, and that was that was pretty gnarly. That got pretty close to home. And, you know, they did yeoman work, you know, up again, as you say, kind of in the boundary area where it's literally burn completely to the dirt and then a backyard and then home start. Yeah. And, and all the homes survived. I thought for sure, you know, okay, there's going to be 20, 30, 40 of these, you know, big structures that are all going to be some massive conflagration. They did an amazing job. That's yeah, right. Really did. Yep. Yep. So I've got a gear question related to that. And that is, so when we, we had bro dinky on, this was quite some time ago. I'm sure you probably know who he is. So, yeah. you know, Brodinky in real life is a chef, right? He's a, a culinary guy and he's in kitchen. So we asked him, what was the most useful piece of gear he uses in the kitchen? And he, he surprised me. I mean, it wasn't, you know, some fancy knife or particular appliance or anything. It was like the rubber spatula is the most important piece of gear, you know, that a chef can use. I'm curious, like, what is the most important piece of gear that you put to use you know, maybe not, or maybe it is, you know, directly in the, in the process of fighting a fire, but just in your day-to-day -day kind of activity as, you know, as a, uh, a firefighter. Um, my favorite piece of gear lately is my piglet fire axe. And that one combines the back half of two traditional fire axes. So we have the flathead axe, which, um, has an axe on one side and then the other side has more of a blunt side used for striking. And then the pick-headed fire axe, which uh, I think folks are used to seeing associated with firefighters, has an axe on one side and then a pick on the other. So this combines those two back halves. And I love that thing. It is just an incredible amount of destruction in such a small package. It, it just allows me to go to work very quickly. I'm I'm googling this right now, and I can see I can see exactly how this could be an effective <laughs> an effective tool. Yeah. What is this for? Like opening up a roof, or? Um. Well, when so I work on a truck company, so a truck company and a hazardous materials company, and on the truck company, um, if there is a fire, it's one of our first jobs is to go and force entry. So. If the structure is burning and the doors are locked, then we have to go and gain access for the crews that are going to go interior. And then after that, uh, so the engine, 
Well, first, let me just explain the difference between um, an engine and a truck. So an engine is the smaller one that carries hose and water. The truck is the bigger apparatus that has the long ladder on top and carries tools and equipment. So the engine will go to the fire. They're going to go inside, take the hose in, um, search for the fire, put it out. On the truck company, our job is forcible entry, um, go in, search for any victims that might be inside, um, going to go up top and cut a hole in the roof, ventilate, and then after we do what's called salvage and overhaul, where we are looking for any hidden fire that might be in the walls. So we have to open up the walls, open up the ceilings. Um, another, another job responsibility that we have on truck companies is if there is a vehicle accident and somebody is trapped in a car, then we're the ones that use the jaws of life extrication tools to get them out and can use the piglet to make a purchase point for the tools, um, to put a hole in the tires to deflate those so that the car is not going to roll. It's got all sorts of uses. That sounds like there's a lot of, uh, considerations that you wouldn't think of as somebody who's not, you know, who's a civilian and not a firefighter. So Greg, just by way of coincidence, there's a, um, an old, old property down at the end of my street that's being redeveloped. And it's probably like two or three acres of like bungalow apartments. And so last week, like every local and they, you know, they've got everybody moved out and stuff like that. And before they demolished this thing last week, like every SWAT agency around here in San Gabriel Valley came out and did room clearing and, you know, flashbanging and all that stuff. And they brought their dogs and hid stuff and get, they used it, this, these structures as like complex training. So this week, all of the local, you know, fire agencies have been down at the end of the street and they are tearing these buildings up. And I, I've always been curious, you know, they get on top of these structures and cut holes in the roof. And I'm thinking, okay, is it doesn't, does that not exacerbate the fire if you, you know, allow air to get to it? Or is it just to let smoke out? Or why do you do that? So the reason that we cut a hole in the roof is without that, the fire and smoke are going to go up to the ceiling and then they're going to sort of mushroom and spread throughout the building. But if we cut a hole in the roof, it acts like a chimney. So that way we can let the smoke out, increases visibility for the crews that are inside um, searching for the fire, searching for victims. It also lets the heat, the hot air gases out. So that's going to make it more survivable inside. And it helps to prevent the fire from spreading laterally throughout the building if we can just get it to go straight up. Interesting. So but, do, you, do you, I guess you must learn a lot about fire dynamics, you know, and, and I don't, I don't even know what the term would be, but whatever the, the pyrotechnic equivalent is of like fluid dynamics, I bet fire is kind of alive in a structure. Yeah. Fire science. It's, it's a constant learning process. There's always something new out there to learn. That's incredible. I, I think uh, probably it's pretty common for, you know, most guys and I guess increasingly women, right. To at some point in your youth, you just check the box. You want to be a fireman. You, know, you yeah. want to be a fireman, you want to be an airline pilot, uh, you know, whatever, whatever else is, you know, out there. Um, just, I don't know, the whole thing just seems like a very kind of a romantic and interesting pursuit. So very cool. It's a great job. I highly recommend it. Yep. Yep. Have you ever, did you ever considering 
consider, you know, coming up in your like professional development, doing some other job that involved a similar skill set. And I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff in the military, you know, there's 18 Delta or PJ or whatever. Did, did you ever look into any of that stuff? I considered the military for a while, but mainly by that point, I knew I wanted to get into fire. And one of the reasons that I was considering the military is because I knew that that skill set in the military is highly transferable to firefighting. And then my grandpa was a sergeant in World War II. My great uncle was in the Navy. So I have nothing but respect for our service members. Right on. Yeah, I think that's the the frustrated part of me wishes I'd done something like that, you know, before I got too old and, and crotchety and back pain guy. All right. So I have one more question for you. Um, so, you know, having followed your feed and talked to you, you know, back channel and stuff like that, and just, you know, getting a sense of what it is you do and then the watches that you have to kind of bring this full circle back to the watches. It seems like you really kind of like me have a real penchant for, tool watches, but specifically sort of adventure oriented, you know, and I'm thinking, I mean, I, I want to say, do you have Elliot Brown and Sangin and I, have Sangin. I don't have an Elliot Brown yet. Um, Aries, um, the Mark II Paradive collaboration with Prometheus design works. Uh, right. Cool. It, a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Zen and yeah, yep. just stuff that, People, you know, who are kind of a, a subset of like that watch collector enthusiast universe, and you know who you are out there, people. But if you're sort of like me, right, it's, it's the, the tool watches all the time. If you had to break yourself away out of that mold for a little bit, you know, if you had to pick a watch that was not a tool watch, so, you know, not something overtly, you know, purpose driven, is there anything out there that you would want to add to your collection or that you could see adding to your collection, you know, maybe for, you know, daily use, not at, not at the job. And this is if I had unlimited, unlimited funds. Oh yeah. Let's make it fun. Absolutely. (laughs) Unlimited. I really like the stuff that they're doing over at MBNF. The horological machines, this little worlds inside of a watch case that you could just stare at all day. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's, if we can find that meteorite cased watch that, if I'm remembering correctly, like something like that would be really cool. Oh, um, Fiona Kruger. I really like her Day of the Dead theme pieces. And yeah, no, I'm not familiar with that. It's cool. Very cool. Yeah, she has a, I believe it's her Venetus clock where the power reserve is the jaw. So it, it will yawn as the power is um, draining down. That sort of reminds me, did you guys see about two years ago, that gold, like uh, kind of complex um, animation watch. I think it was Louis Vuitton. It was like the gold skull with the snake kind of. Oh yes. yeah. I remember that yeah. one. Yeah. Asha, was this meteorite cased watch, was it a Debitune? It might have been. I don't remember off the top of my head. Does it have like an an Art Deco look to it? uh, No, not as much as it's a little more spaceship-y. It's funny, Greg, while you're looking, you you said the word Debitune, and somewhere in the ether, 
James Stacy is stirring. He's like, <laughs> like what? Somebody, huh? <laughs> He's got an itch somewhere that he can't explain. Oh, and I just remembered another watch. Is it the um, Kari Vutalainen, the vampire watch that has the AM PM indicator with little teeth come down? Yeah, yeah I've I seen that. that. I think that's super cool. So do you like those? Those um, I want to say it's pronounced Jaken, but the uh, like the the clown faced like Joker watches. Have you ever seen oh, one of those? Oh yeah, Constantine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, those yeah, those are cool. I, that's I think if we might be thinking of the same thing, or maybe there's some overlap there. But that style is very cool. Yeah, they're just so much fun. It's all the okay. different zooms on them. That's a cool juxtaposition because like you, like the way that you phrased the question, Matt, too, but also Asha's answer is like, okay, there's these purpose, you know, purpose-driven tool watches, but then also this like very fun and whimsical and sort of like uh, just out there kind of some ways, you know, kind of really interesting pieces that you could just stare at all day. And if anybody saw it on your wrist, they'd want to know, what is that, right? Like, tell me what you're wearing. Yeah, I was expecting in a way, I mean, you know, something like oh you know uh something that's still kind of sporty adjacent like a date just or you know maybe a once in a blue moon like you know if, at an award ceremony or something like that like a patrimony or you know but um i don't know your answer is a lot better i think all that stuff is incredible too because something that is supremely well crafted i could stare at that all day too I would wonder if um, there's any room anywhere for like Zinn or a company like them to just go completely bonkers and produce one of their tool watches in Precious. I think that would be great. I actually like um, a lot of Zinn's um, dress watches. They're really cool. Yeah. And I love that they're also just as tough. (laughs) They don't skimp on the specs on them. Greg, was it our friend Chase that was recently in Frankfurt? And did mm-hmm. he send pictures? It was, right? It was not Mike uh, from Fratello, but it was it was Chase that sent pictures of like, what is it like the um, the Meisterbund? Yes. And that was in white gold? It was some some white metal. I don't know if it was platinum or white gold or, or what. Could have Are you familiar yeah. with that one, Asha? That's a, a an amazing one. I am... Don't know off the top of my head. I'm gonna have to look that one up. You know, I bet you've seen it. It's just one of those that's like, if it's not in front of your face, it's kind of hard to remember. But well, I'm thinking just like, just let's just go all out and have like a a platinum U1. <laughs> like weighs like four pounds on your wrist. You know, big like alligator. You know, rubber backed alligator strap. Platinum U1. Of course, it would have to be tegmented platinum though. Naturally, of course. Because <laughs> why not? I, you know, I. It'd be interesting. I think you could do that because I think that's just carbon diffusion. They might be able to do that with precious metal too. That actually, that's an interesting question. We should pose that to somebody. You know, can they can they do you know um, tegument or tegament or the uh, the process that Damasco uses? I think they call it you know like ice hardening. And do you have any, any kind of experience with Damasco, by the way? I've seen them at watch fairs. I haven't owned one, but they're pretty cool watches too. Yeah. I think I could see that being right up your street. They have a, um, 
I, I would want to get a Damasco back in my collection just for like the ASMR value of the, the bezel. They're, they're the best bezels ever, by far ever. I mean, it's not even close. When they when you spin this thing, Asha, it's there. There's basically a, a ball bearing detent system, but it's like a soft capture. So when you when you turn it, it doesn't make like an audible click. It's just like a tactile feedback, like this haptic feedback in your hand, and it just feels like a thunk, thunk, thunk as it as you know you rotate through each position, and it's like a freaking bank vault. It is so so good. <laughs> I just I. I want might, another one. I think so you bad. maybe should write copy for Damasco because that was you're really on fire tonight, dude. I could do it. I could do it. Somebody call Mike Pearson. I'll write copy for them or anything like that. Hey, Greg, you are frozen, by the way. At least can, on on ours. Can you hear us? Okay, it sounds. Yeah, I'm, I'm all good. good. All right, cool, cool. Well, hey, that's kind of the. Um, there's other stuff I want to riff on or that we can kind of open up. But Greg, if you'd had other questions. Yeah, favorite and or least favorite firefighting movie. Um, hmm. Let's see. Or show. Film or television. <laughs> uh, favorite, I mentioned this on the, the Grey NATO, and I haven't seen it in a long time, but um, there's Red Skies in Montana, which is a 1950 smoke jumper movie. But Actually, for a short video, there is a smoke jumper equipment check from about the 50s on YouTube that's pretty funny. They're totally serious in the video, but that's what makes it hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Least favorite? You know, there's a lot of stuff that I cringe at um, because... I think that a lot of the stuff out there paints us as undisciplined cowboys, but at the same time, the public seems to have a favorable view of us. So I can't badmouth it too much. And if, if folks see us in a good light, but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a decent amount of say artistic Hollywood license in Mm. a lot of (laughs) fire movies and TV shows. That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. What's the, uh, what's the menu? What's the sort of the mess situation at the, at the firehouse? Who's, who is, do you find yourselves, you know, enjoying some good, some good eats or is it sort of, you know, who, how does that look to you guys? Oh yeah. Well, we usually alternate. There is an engine and a truck at my station plus the hazmat rig, but the truck crew cross staffs the hazmat rig and um, the engine and the truckers will alternate tours like the engine will cook one tour the truck will cook next tour and you know we usually put a decent amount of effort into it because we call chow that that's our family time that's when we just get together and hang out and just have fun de-stress and just connect with each other so we have some very good cooks in the fire service i can imagine that's always seemed like um you know, from the little that I've had an opportunity to kind of, you know, look over the fence as an outsider looking in, it seems like that would be one of the fun parts of the job. I mean, maybe not, maybe it's a pain in the ass, but you know, locally our, we see our guys, 
you know, from the agency in the town where I work are, we, I see them at the store all the time, you know, as a group, basically, you know, doing their shopping and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I can imagine that would be a great like opportunity for camaraderie and just, you know, really making like lifelong connections with people over, over the job and over food. Sadly, probably not over beer, but <laughs> off duty, off duty. That's what <laughs> off duty is good for. Yes. Speaking of off duty, what would you, if it could be from your, your collection of watches or maybe something like we were talking about earlier that was sort of, you know, pie in the sky or aspirational or even something that maybe is on your radar, but how would you put together maybe a perfect watch and cocktail or drink pairing? Um, could be like a date night, like we mentioned earlier, or it could just be lounge time at home or however, two things that you think could go together or, or that you'd like to put together. Well, uh, first thing that popped into my mind would be my William Wood Valiant with a nice smoke jumper bourbon. Um, Have I seen smoke jumper? I'm sorry to interrupt. Have I seen that in that's locally available, isn't it? Greg, have you seen it? Yeah, we have it at Mission. Okay. It it seems like that's maybe something I've seen at Vendome too. Is it good? It sounds like... It's tasty. It has some smoky notes to it. All right. Yeah, I believe they're distilled in Oregon, if I remember right. Okay. I'll have to give that one a whirl. I've I've been on a bourbon kick for the past maybe year, so I, I'll fold it into the rotation. I'm sorry to interrupt. Get back to your, your question. Sorry, Greg. No, that was... I mean, again, she also just crushes it. I mean, not only are these two pieces, like, you know, tangentially uh, connected by, like, a, a, you know, a common thread, but they're also unique in their own right. I love it. How about you? I had to get that one in. I mean, Asha basically let us know earlier we have, you know, a new tagline. We're basically a, a spirits podcast with a watch problem. Yeah, that's what I signed up for. <laughs> How about you guys? What would you put together? Oh, I just put you on the spot, huh? You did. You flipped it back. I love it. Um, gosh, uh, like you, I love a great Paloma. Um, it's got to be fresh grapefruit juice, right? Just a touch of like, you know, uh, sparkling water. And it's okay in a pinch if you want to use, um, you know, grapefruit soda or jaritos or whatever. So maybe a Paloma. Um, and you know, actually the color of that Oris, uh, PPX, uh, that salmon dial, which is not really a salmon, but sort of pinky just color wise. I think that would go really nice with a Paloma. It's a fantastic watch, right? It's a very cool thing. Um, so I think just from a palette perspective, like a color palette, I love putting those, that would be a great one too. Those both would be light and refreshing. All right. I'm going to go color as well. And the first thing I thought of was a, uh, like a white dial watch. So I would, I have a, a white dial date just, and I've been on that date just on a NATO kick. So the date just on the red NATO. Okay. Uh, with a New York sour, Ooh. you know, little, little kind of red wine float there. You know, you've got the, uh, kind of the, the egg haze on top, you know, a little bit of that foam. Um, that's a fun, that's something I will not do at the house. I've got a kid with like the deadly allergies and stuff like that. And I, I will not, you know, mess around with, uh, with that. So that's something that's like an indulgence when I go out and it's surprisingly not 
easy to find sometimes. I mean, at, you know, obviously the high-end bars almost always will have it, but a lot of places will look at you kind of cross-eyed like, hey, do you, you know, can you do an egg white float? No. What are you talking about? <laughs> so that, I think that probably would be my combo just because A, it's sort of, it's that the kind of the colors come up, but also it's something I just treat myself to when I'm out only. So, you know, just a few times a year, I'll get one of those or if I'm traveling. What's everybody's favorite travel cocktail? It's like you're whisked away, right? It could be an urban escape. It could be a tropical escape. It could be whatever you expect it to be. What, what's everybody's favorite like vacation mode drink? First thing that popped in my head was a good Mai Tai. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's funny. So um, I've been doing sort of this summer, uh, you know, kind of what's the word like tropical cocktails over the past few months and like Mai Tai and Singapore Sling. That was I think we we talked about that one, right, Greg, a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Singapore Sling. That's a good um, a good gin based cocktail. And I think we might have just lost Asha. Wait. Yep. There you go. You're back. We'll hang tight. Maybe she had a battery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. Singapore sling, uh, Mai Tai. Uh, those are the kind of things I like just because those, you know, those are, are sort of big cocktails. I've made those a lot myself lately, though. So, I, And I think it's probably because of the fact that I haven't been traveling that much. And it's almost one of those things where, you know, I want to be able to... Um, you know, pull that feeling of like traveling or, or going out and about the New York sour is one that I go, uh, that's a go-to when I'm traveling. And, you know, if there's another, probably like, you know, paper plane, aviation, stuff like that, things that I just don't do for myself very often. No, I, I appreciate that you shifted to, to, you know, tropical drinks as the weather really <laughs> settled into the, yeah, the winter. Yeah. It's about as, as cold and gnarly as it gets in Southern California, especially this year. You know, I mean, it's not like we've never seen this much rain, but because um, I mean, I've, I've definitely seen this a few times in my life here, but it's definitely, uh, you know, more than normal. Yeah, no, it is. And, and you know, the, the obligatory, oh, we need it, but we do, of course. And so, uh, you know, hopefully it makes you know, it presents the challenges and the dangers, right. Of, of sort of scorched or, you know, scorched landscapes and taking in a lot of water, which is never, which can be a, a, a scary thing in its own right, but hopefully it makes, you know, the job of, uh, of Asha and, and folks that are in that space, you know, a little bit more, uh, bearable. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I think we've got a little technical difficulty and rather than pause, why don't we insert something here and I can either cut this out if it sounds lame or whatever, but you know, we, if, if we did not have a guest today, we'd probably be talking about this. And while Asha's kind of sorting out the tech side of things on her end, um, what did you think of Omega's announcement last week? This uh, this spirate, I'm I'm told that that's how they're pronouncing it, not not the Brodinky Somali pirate spirate thing, but I think it's spirate. Um, did you get a chance to kind of read up on that and and see what that is, and what do you think it's going to mean for them? No, yeah, I did. I think it, they threw everybody for a loop. You know, everybody was hypothesizing ourselves included didn't really know what to expect right is it going to be dark side of the moon is it going to be increased um you know uh, uh beat rate um and they just sort of threw something that obviously nobody was expecting because it didn't exist yet until they made it um maybe it wasn't as sort of splashy 
as other, you know, some of those other things that people were maybe hoping for or, or guessing. But the truth is, it is it, it, it ratchets up their, you know, their, their technical prowess uh, again. Um, I think you and I were talking offline there, you know, over the last year, there was sort of this race to the bottom of the ocean, right? You see all these depth, you know, we had the ultra deep come out, then of course the, you know, the, the, uh, the Rolex, uh, uh, you know, deep sea and, uh, you know, it, now maybe it's hearkening back to that time when there was sort of the accuracy, uh, you know, battles that, that, that the Omegas and the Rolexes and, and, and everybody were having, you know, back decades ago. And it's amazing, right? I mean, you're at what zero zero and two um yeah you know. i mean i think that's what they're claiming is the ability to kind of have a a reproducible result that is between zero and, and two seconds a day i mean that's insane pretty phenomenal right oh yeah i mean that's that's pretty cool so i don't know maybe if you were expecting something really splashy and a new product or something completely you know that you couldn't expect you know uh, maybe this was, I guess, maybe a letdown to some people. Um, but to me, I think it just continues to elevate Omega's place as a watchmaker, as a sort of a uh, uh, pushing the boundaries in, in, in terms of accuracy and timekeeping. Um, and you'll probably see the downstream effects, you know, as they bring that 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 technology into other pieces of the lineup. So all in all, really cool. Uh, maybe with the big fuss that they were doing and teasing it for a few weeks and letting everybody speculate, you know, it just maybe maybe they weren't even going to be able to deliver something that met everybody's expectations at that point, unless it was like literally a new piece. Uh, but I think that it's very cool and it's going to pay dividends for them for, for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I, I was not uh, let down by this. I actually think this is a better thing than just, you know, another watch. I mean, they're going to, presumably they're going to release some watches here soon anyway. So, you know, having something that's kind of a technological advancement, I think is, you know, worth more, if that makes sense. Um, and to me, this seems like just another sort of layer of transparency that Omega provides in terms of being able to produce really accurate watches regularly and being able to show sort of the buying public and the, the consumer, hey, this is what we do. You know, here's Metos. You can read all about it. You can see it. You can watch the videos as opposed to something like you know, the, the superlative chronometer standard, which is, you know, a pretty tight standard, but, you know, how do they achieve it except just spending extra time, you know, at the regulating bench, you know, I mean, I guess that can work, but it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, you just, just like a lot of these other companies, you're basically just taking Rolexes and I'm picking on Rolex cause that's the obvious competitor there, but you know, you're just sort of taking their the manufacturer's word for it that, oh, trust us, we do stuff. And it's, it's plus two seconds. It's fine. You know, yeah. with Omega, it's like, hey, this is, here's another technological sort of advancement that contributes to our being able to do that. This is how we do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've, we've given some props, I think, to a bunch of folks out there, you know, and, and, and I think Omega has been on a tear. Uh, maybe not everything, everything that they've released over the last 365 or whatever was everybody's cup of tea, but I think it'd be, I think most people would be pretty hard pressed to say they're not, they're not really doing some things, you know, they're doing things that are continuing to keep them in the forefront of watch conver of horological conversation. Right. And, um, and I think they're doing it in a pretty cool way. Yeah, totally. Well, I tell you what, hang on for one second here, Greg, I'm going to check something here and I'm actually going to pause this.
And we're back. All right. Sorry, we've had a, a few minutes of extended, uh, and actually really just, just a few minutes of kind of uh, uh, tech support hell there. But Asha is back with <laughs> us, back from her sojourn in the upside down. Did you see Will? <laughs> I'm still looking. I'm sure he's there somewhere. Should I stay or should I go now? <laughs> right on. Well, um, yeah, so we'll we'll figure it out. You know, we'll uh, just try to capture this and, um, you know, uh, uh, stitch the two sets of files together. You know, worst case is, um, you know, there's just like a, a little beep in the middle. But, yeah, this yeah. is uh, this like is when they had to change gig. the film in the theater, the little cigar mark in the side. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. The only thing is, I don't remember what question we left off on. I think, you know, Greg and I went off on a tangent talking about the new Omega thing, the, the new spirate development for a. a oh, we were talking, we were talking cocktails and you were making yeah. tropical cocktails in, the, in, in January. Yeah, I was, I was making tropical cocktails in January because that just sort of reminds me of travels. I think, though, the ones that. Like, you know, Greg, I always travel with my buddy, Hungry Jim, for work. And so, you know, Jim and I are um, sort of at the, the epicenter of like a little group of, of people that kind of hang out. And we're all kind of the, the old farts in our crew. And when we go out and like, you know, hit the cocktail places or whatever, it's the New York. It's just the stuff that I won't make for myself at home. So, you know, New York Sour is one of those, um, you know, just anything relatively complicated. Um, or frankly, just, you know, higher end pours of something, you know, that I'm not going to have for myself. I'm not a scotch guy, but, you know, more expensive bourbon or really good wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's me. How about you, Asha? For travel or or just? Yeah, just like um, if you're out, you know, if you're out somewhere or somewhere different, you know, uh, you know, extended or even short term, like what's something that you like to that you gravitate toward? You know, one of my favorite things is just to find out what the bartender's specialty. Like, what it, what are they really good at making? And then, usually, some variation of that. Yeah, that's always a good move. Is to sort of just you know when you talk to them. That's the thing that you know we didn't have for so long when those things were closed. Is you couldn't really talk to you know the people behind the bar or at the restaurant, or and you couldn't learn from them. And so you were doing things at home, maybe, but. I think just uh, letting their expertise come out and then, yeah. you know, putting your own riff on it or asking it to make something different or unique for mm-hmm. you or maybe substitute one thing. It's just a fun way to explore. Yeah, and just try different things and maybe be exposed to something I hadn't considered before. Yeah, I'm the same. I like I, I just like to do I'd like to be as local as possible, like hyper local, you know, so yeah. wherever it is, just give me the things that are unique to that place or give me the things that come from there or whatever it's could be beer it could be the wine it could be a spirit it could be a kind of a unique cocktail or a twist on something that we don't do elsewhere just hyper local like i want to experience whatever it is there well speaking of which um asha are you in the east bay i am so do you do you ever go across into san francisco or do you kind of stick more local to where you're at i know i'm mobile so, get around well, the bay. <laughs> well, so the reason I ask is I've I have not been in a long time. I mean, I think my last trip to San Francisco was probably like 2014 or 15. So I mean, it's it's been a while. But my understanding is like the food scene in East Bay is really gotten good. Oh, there's and, amazing restaurants in the East Bay. 
I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if kind of the, the spirits world, um, is the same, you know, if, if there's, you know, speakeasies and, and good bars and, and things like that kind of following along the food trends too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Craft cocktails are huge out here. And the restaurant that I mentioned earlier that made the vodka, uh, vodka Cadavra, that's uh, Millennium in Oakland over in the Rockridge area. And they usually have a good selection. Um, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of places that have really good craft cocktails. So a couple episodes back, we did like this tour of LA and we sort of, if somebody was visiting for 48 hours or something and Matt and I were just sort of, here's where we go for this meal. Here's where we might go for a drink. Anyway, let's do it in sort of the Bay area. We can be anywhere within the Bay that you like, but if you have one day to show somebody things that you think are interesting or cool or unique, let's do sort of like you start in the morning. And we'll keep it like food and cocktail adjacent, but you can throw in something else interesting too, if you like. But if you had one day to, to sell, if they had 24 hours in the Bay, what might you tell them to do? Or how could they get a, a, a taste of some of the things that y- you've been enjoying lately? Okay. Well, I said Millennium for starters. We actually like their cocktail so much that we had one of the bartenders that work there do a um, bourbon tasting at our wedding. No way. How cool. Yeah. And he selected the spirits, did an awesome job. We had Michter's, Mosswood, and High West were the three Ugh. spirits that he picked. And that was just amazing. Um, St. George's got a swing over there for a, a you know, hard alcohol tasting. There's Rockwall Winery. Um, I think Winery 42. So there's two that are also in Alameda right on that same little island. Um, there's Oakland Spirits Company that they have a very good gin. Um, let's see, who else? Uh, Crooked City Cider House. I just went there recently. Um, a true, really good taste of Oakland is you got to try the food trucks in East Oakland. Those are amazing. Like the, um, especially... Yeah, there, there's just absolutely incredible food trucks all over the place here. Um, a good recommendation for just pure history is Heinhold's First and Last Chance, which is my favorite bar in Oakland. It's, it, it's about the size of, I don't, I don't know, like a kitchen and a living room. It's really quite small. It was built in the 1800s out of timber from a shipwrecked whaling ship. And it was called the first and last chance because Alameda used to be a dry island where the naval base was. So it was the first and the last chance for sailors to get a drink as they were going to and coming back from war. So they used to have dollar bills with initials on it pinned to the wall. Those aren't there anymore. They just went there this summer and then Yes, and they probably took them down for security reasons. But that was, um, the sailors would put those there so that they would know when they were coming back from war that they would at least have enough money to buy themselves a drink. And That's kind of cool. I, I was amazing. about to make a, a smart aleck comment about the fire marshal making him take it down. But <laughs> like you couldn't, you couldn't pull any strings at all? No, no. There's, um, there's a bunch of business cards that are still on the ceiling that are totally just brown and creosoted from back when they used to smoke cigars in there. It's um, actually one of Jack London's hangouts. 
So he would go on there and write books. The bar is completely slanted from the 1906 earthquake. So we'll just slide drinks down the side. There's a clock on the wall that stopped the exact moment the 1906 earthquake hit. And they just left it there. But it's, it's an amazing this is, little place. This is like epically cool. I don't, I, 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 you could have told me like two or three of those things. And I'd be like, okay, this place has character. Like this is super interesting. Like all 10 of those things are like insanely cool and interesting. It's such an awesome little spot. Um, there was another bar in downtown Oakland, uh, Make Westing, that had really good drinks. Um, and then as far as food, there's just so many good food options. Oh, you know what? I have to mention my friends that, um, have you ever had an alfajore cookie? No, I don't think no. so. No. It's an Argentinian cookie. It's two shortbread cookies with dulce de leche in the middle of it. And, okay. Um, yeah, I've I've had something like that. Yeah, and, and it's almost like a like an Argentine version of what it, they have them in France. Come on, uh, like macaron. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, but yeah. more of a shortbread instead of the the lighter, um, the lighter kind of cookies on the outside. And so, one of my good friends. Um, founded this company called wooden table baking company and it's um it's his grandmother's recipe from argentina but then he's expanded on it and so like one of my favorite of the cookies of the alfajores is a whiskey cold brew cookie that usually comes out in in uh, march around saint patty's day and there's just they have like a cookie of the month club where you can get a different flavor each month and it just it's amazing I, I think I'm willing to like stand in line for my allotment of the whiskey cold brew cookie. Like what, what do I, what do I have to do? I... <laughs> Just yeah, on what the in the hell? That sounds so good. Pair <laughs> incredibly well with St. George's Nola coffee liqueur. I was just going to say dunk that in my Irish coffee in the morning. That works too. Yeah. yeah nobody's going to argue with that either. Even yeah. For even the regular, the regular flavors that they have or could be anything from a habanero chocolate to uh, key lime to just all sorts of different flavor profiles. That's Wooden Table, right? Wooden Table Baking Company. Wooden Table Baking Company. That's really okay. interesting and cool. Yeah, for sure. That's like a, a laundry list of like recommendations if we go up there. Oh, yeah. Because road trip on up here. I'll take you all around. <laughs> Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll we are. We're overdue. We're we're overdue for an up north road trip. That's for certain. And where I'm at, I'm actually decently close to Napa, and there's all sorts of amazing food options out there too. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Some good experiences in Napa. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Well, Greg, what do you say? Any additional questions, or should we start kind of uh, getting ready to put a bow on it? No, I, I mean, there's several additional questions, but I think it's going to require a whole other episode because really what I think we need to do almost next time too is give Asha like an entire segment of like interesting pairings and food and, 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 and booze. And I, I think there's a lot more for us to cover. This has been so much fun. Um, you know, we've been, so, we've been learning about you from, you know, listening to you on some recent pods lately. And, and of course, you know, some of your features and, uh, but gosh, you just have so much to, to, to talk about in your uh, your ability to give really detailed but 
interesting answers uh, and, and ideas about things that you're tasting and seeing and experiencing are, are really pretty cool. So this has been a, such a treat. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I've had a great time. We, oh, yeah, you're... We, we were, Matt, we did a good job. We were deserving of the celebratory pour, right? We had a good time this evening. We lived up to the billing for, for the celebratory pour. Well, I hope so, man. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And I have to say, I mean, it's, it, I was not really joking when I said, I mean, it's cool having somebody on as somebody who's, uh, you know, as a kid and again, like so many kids are just fascinated with the notion of the fire service and, you know, what they do. And this is kind of this larger than life, you know, persona of, uh, of the, the fireman, right. Or the firefighter. Yeah. And, you know, getting some of the, the, the technical, you know, knowledge or the jargon, the lingo and learning a little bit about how you do the job is, is cool. And it's not really the stuff that we would typically talk about in a watch podcast, but at the same time, like some of the most interesting stuff we've had. So we, we definitely appreciate you coming on. Of course. I, and actually, I have put one more you... recommendation for you. If you know any young girls between the ages of 14 and 18, so twice a year, I participate in the NorCal First Alarm um, Girls Fire Camp, mm-hmm. where, you know, kids come from all over. We've had some girls drive from as far away as like six hours away to come to these camps. And then we spend the day just teaching them firefighting skills. Like I've taught them it, I've participate in stations such as um, auto extrication, forcible entry, having them climb up an aerial ladder, um, showing them how to search for victims, CPR. We have like a whole bunch of different skills that will do hands-on instruction with them during the day. And I got to say, I absolutely love giving 14-year-old girls chainsaws and the jaws of life and teaching them how to operate them safely. Like we, we renamed the power tool station to women's empowerment tools, just seeing their confidence grow <laughs> as they're out there and realizing that they could handle these things safely and responsibly. And then in the end, we have a little graduation ceremony so that the parents can come and watch and we do an evolution and we um, tone it out as if it was a fire call and then have each of the teams go through and do the different skills. And it's just, it's so much fun. So the next one's going to be coming up in April in Santa Clara. So if you know anybody, please get the word out and, and get them on out there. It's just, it's an awesome experience all around. That's so rad. You know, I think we have, I think a definitely like a heavy California focus, I think in, in folks that we, you know, tend to interact with on a frequent basis. So I think this will be something that'll resonate with a, a number of people listening. Awesome. Glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. I think you should start going and uh, like go trolling the local civil air patrol squadrons and <laughs> you, you will probably get a lot of takers. And if, you know, um, if the, the, kids doing civil air patrol or anything like they were in my day. I mean, it's, it's probably about a 70, 30 split male to female, but there's still, you know, considering what it is, you know, there's still quite a few young girls that participate and it's that age range and it's kids that are interested in that kind of thing. You could probably find quite a few kids. So that's, that's a great recommendation. That's a great trip. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Speaking of recommendations, Greg, do you want to uh, kind of wrap this up with anything? Do you have anything that you want to uh, chat about? Yeah, two documentaries, uh, both on Netflix. So I guess we were we were on Netflix earlier on some of our recommendations, um, both sports oriented, um, both kind of very different, I guess. Anyway, uh, the first one I saw not too long ago was called Facing Nolan. It's basically like a Nolan Ryan documentary on Netflix. Um, so if you grew up 
Oh gosh, I mean, he pitched forever. <laughs> if you grew up any time in the last, you know, several decades, I think Nolan Ryan and you liked baseball. Nolan Ryan probably meant something to you, or you at least yeah. were aware of how incredible he was. But uh, you know, it, it's really neat to, to watch that documentary from you know him basically cracking into the majors even before that, growing up in Texas, and and then you know, obviously, sort of how I remembered him as a kid, you know, basically on the Rangers. But he was already well into his career then, but just really fascinating look at his life and his family uh, and some of his early struggles. I mean, I always just pictured him as sort of this world beater and he didn't realize, you know, of course he still had to overcome sort of his own trials and tribulations, but a uh, really cool documentary um, if you're into baseball. Uh, and and the other one I had was another documentary. And I think um, Balash had actually mentioned uh, this series of, of Netflix documentaries. I think it's called Untold is like the sort of like uh, umbrella um, category for these set of documentaries. And this one was called the, the rise and fall of end one. So if you were a basketball fan, you know, or even a streetwear fan, um, you know, basically in the nineties into the, or through the two thousands and one was this huge kind of major upstart, uh, you know, basketball apparel and then footwear company, but really they spawned, you know, these end one mixtapes that sort of ushered in this new era of, uh, you know, just, you know, playground basketball and street ball and, and sort of the influence it had on pop culture, uh, the NBA and basketball itself. But also I didn't realize how small the company was when it started, how big it got. And then sort of some of the pitfalls that it encounters, it sort of faded out of, uh, uh, out of, you know, public awareness and, and it still exists today, but anyway, really cool documentary. If you grew up watching any of those guys, uh, or just appreciating that style of basketball or even just kind of pop culture and, and sort of, you know, streetwear. Um, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Nice. Right on. Well, I've got one too. It's not a documentary, but it is a film and it's going to kind of be a continuation, I guess, of the, you know, the subject that we talked about in our last episode, you know, the film devotion. Mm -hmm. Asha, have you seen that one yet? I have not. I really want to see that one though. That's yeah, it's a great movie. Um, so this goes way back to 1954. The film is called The Bridges at Tokori, and it's an absolute classic. So, you know, if you're of a certain age, you probably watched it. If you're a, you know, an aviation buff, you probably watched it. Um, the kind of the principal actors in this, it's William Holden, um, Grace Kelly, hmm. and Mickey Rooney. Hmm. Okay, so it's 1954, and it is, uh, it's basically a uh, Korean war picture, naval aviation. And you got to kind of remember at this, at that time, it was sort of the, the apex of, you know, piston propeller driven aircraft. And, you know, this new phenomenon of jet powered, you know, uh, uh, naval aviation, and helicopters, right? This was the first conflict where helicopters made an appearance. And, you know, Mickey Rooney's the helicopter pilot, spoiler alert. So the, the aviation piece is really pretty cool. And for its day, it was quite good. It's a, a kind of a stark reminder that back then, I mean, these were jets, but they're basically employing, you know, weapons and tactics that you would expect from, you know, the previous generation. So, you know, there, there are no missiles, there are no smart bombs. It is, you know, rockets and guns, everything's unguided. Um, and let's put it this way. I mean, there's some of the, you know, the early fifties kind of Hollywood, like, Oh, darling, you know, that, that kind of, you know, the little hammy acting, uh, it is not what you would expect from a Hollywood movie of that era. And, and 
you know, especially the ending. It's, uh, it's, it's a really good, very slow burn, but kind of powerful. And it's like the nice. sort of the, the, you know, it, it hits you kind of hard, but it, it, you take, it's about an hour after you stop watching it while you're kind of walking around going, what did I just watch? Like, did, what just happened? Anyway, great movie. Bridges at Tokoree, 1954, William Holden, Grace Kelly, Mickey Rooney, uh, Naval Aviation Must See, and a good follow-on, almost almost like a precursor follow-on to Devotion. I will definitely have to put that on my list. Is that streaming or? Uh, you know what? You can probably find that a lot of places. I mean, that's. Yeah. Um, I want to say I did that on Apple Plus. It's probably available, you know, for sale in, in you know bargain basement DVDs and and things like that. You know, there's a. Uh, I'll probably save it for next week. But I I was on a kick for those those kind of films over the past like you know few weeks. I saw they were expendable again. The John Wayne you know mm. film about the the PT boat action in in the Philippines. And that's another one where you're kind of when you're done, you're like. Was that a John Wayne movie? You know, it, 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 you know, it ends up being pretty serious. It's kind of dark, um, you know, and it's, it's not, you know, rah, rah, America's going to win kind of a thing. It's like, oh, this, this isn't going good. And cut. <laughs> and <I feel> like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, it was, it was very interesting um, and great movies both. So those are my, rec- or that is my recommendation. I'll talk about, you know, the, uh, they were expendable some other time. Nice. Yep. Yep. Along Actually, the, yeah, along well, the documentary um, vein, have you guys seen Aftershock, Everest, and the Nepal earthquake on Netflix? No. Oh, it's really good. And one of the things that I like about it is I really like seeing the same event from different perspectives. And you know, before when the earthquake happened, I remember kind of seeing it just the headlines in the news and that it was I remember seeing that it was um you know a lot of devastation but you don't really realize just how much devastation and the true impact until they go into it or at least get a hint of it until they go into it in the documentary so that was really interesting to see and then also um communication issues so the folks that were out there in the mountains, the distances between the villages, like they knew what had happened where they were, but they really had no idea what was happening around them. And just, and then also seeing how different people react in stressful situations and sometimes how folks justify their reactions after the fact. They just, um, it's just the psychology of that is something that I'm interested in, especially in my field. Yeah, I can imagine, right? In you know any kind of like emergency management scenario, you mm-hmm. you get to see a lot of uh, kind of the the ugliness in human psychology come out, and some of the good stuff. Yeah, it's it's a spectrum. There's just all different sides of it. That sounds super interesting. It almost gave me. Um, I had recently seen uh, what is it called? The volcano rescue from the Wakari. Ah, uh, yeah, I saw that one a little while ago too. Yeah, I don't know if it, it might be completely different in tone, but just uh the visuals immediately struck me as, you know, reminding me of that one. I would say similar tone. And Which I had great too. Yeah. I hadn't even heard about that incident before. Uh, that was, I thought it was a good, good documentary. Yeah, that was Matt. Have you seen that one? I haven't, but I'm, I'm interested in anything that's like technical rescue. Yeah. 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 That's all my, uh, my Oris Riga fleet stuff lately. 
is all based on that. Well, very good. You guys, I think, uh, if we stitch these two things together, you know, uh, uh, good lord willing and the creek don't rise i think we're gonna have you know probably a good uh you know hour and 10 hour and 15 here so that's probably a good time to say goodbye perfect i should thanks so much for coming on with us and for bearing with us um you know uh uh it's kind of funny i think zencaster was trying to you know raise money greg did you get all the emails about uh and i'm like uh, i don't know it's, it's oh. still, maybe go back to beta <laughs> yeah, we might have to, you know, we have to talk to uh, to the folks over there and, and, and you know, tweak the, the pitch deck. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, to be fair, I think every single platform has issues. Yeah. You know, maybe we should try Zoom sometime. Well, and for yeah. our, our guests to be so gracious, uh, it certainly makes yeah. it a little bit easier. Totally. Well, hey, you guys, let's go ahead and, uh, and raise a glass. This will be our last sip. Cheers to you. It's good to see you. Cheers. Likewise. Salute. hope you enjoyed the episode don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice it really does help you can find us on instagram at spirit of time podcast and contact us at spirit of time podcast at gmail.com as always please drink responsibly thanks again for listening we'll see you next time <laughs>